Father, this morning we pray that the meditation of Barrett's hearts and the words on her lips would be pleasing to you, O God. Lord, we pray that as she speaks, our minds and our hearts would be open to hear from you. God, right now we usher away and we pray for the calming of any distractions, internal or external. God, we pray that the word you have prepared in her heart, that you have sown and you have grown, that that would bear fruit in our hearts this morning. So we bless her, God, and yeah, with expectant hearts, we come before you this morning. Amen. Thanks so much, Erin. Oh, come and hear all you who fear God. Let me tell you what he has done for me. I love that. I love that so much. I don't know if we're allowed to have favorite Bible verses. You know, people do the life verse thing. Um, like usually you take a little snippet of scripture out of context and then put it on your Facebook profile in the about me section. And usually it goes something like, you know, I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future and a really awesome Christian boyfriend that plays acoustic guitar. Um, and, and if that is your life verse, grace abounds. <laughs> Please don't dismiss everything I have to say to you. <clears throat> but if I had a life verse, it would be this. Come and hear. Why is it that an that invitation is so compelling. Just speaking for myself, I think it's compelling because it implies to me that there is a really awesome story to be had. And I love stories, I always have. Um, my family were huge nerds, so my parents started reading aloud The Lord of the Rings to me when I was in kindergarten. It, it took seven years, so parents, you need to adjust your children's expectations accordingly. But um, I've always loved stories, and then when I got to college, I couldn't decide which kind of story I wanted to spend the most time with, so I ended up double majoring. I double majored in music and comparative literature, so I could keep reading and writing and composing and listening to stories. Stories are powerful, and I'm really excited to be a part of this teaching series that we've been doing on spiritual formation, because I think the teaching series that's been happening here at Sanctuary recognizes the power of the story. This series says, what would it mean for Jesus to be the primary shaper of our daily stories? What would it mean for Jesus to shape my story? The cool thing about Christianity, I think, is that it's not only a neat package of kind of truth claims that you're asked to give intellectual assent to. Although that's not bad. I mean, there are great intellectual que questions to be asked. Um, but I think actually Jesus has an invitation for us. He wants to shape our daily patterns of speak, speech and action, of work and wonder, of prayer and play, and see those things be transformed by Christ. And that's what this series on spiritual formation is about. It's about recognizing that we live in a story. We all live in a story. We're in a culture. We have an ethnicity. We have a gender. We have an upbringing. We have friends that bring a certain set of values and assumptions into our lives and conversations. We have workplaces that do this. We have social media feeds. And yet in the midst of this, 
if we are Christians, we're able to ask the God of the universe to, in his power, make us whole and integrated people. And this means that when we invite him into our story, not only do our hearts come to long for a nearness to Christ, but our daily rhythms of speech and action begin to bend to him, like a, like a plant bends towards the light. We begin to bend to God through the practice of God-given spiritual disciplines. So I'm excited about this morning um, because we're going to be thinking through the spiritual discipline that has done the most in my own life to shape who I am as a follower of Christ. It's brought me the most joy and the most painful questions, both internally and externally. (coughs) And this discipline is the discipline of witness. Now, this is a little counterintuitive. Uh, Perhaps you're more used to thinking of like the inward spiritual disciplines, like how do I pray? How do I do contemplative prayer? Or um, maybe disciplines that engage us in the life of the community, like how do I engage the discipline of generosity or of humility? But witness is an outward discipline. And I want to say this. I know for a lot of us, uh, well, we're probably a spiritually diverse crew in this room right now. And so maybe if you're here and you identify as a Christian, you're tensing up because you're like, oh, man, I feel like witness is a code, like a Christian code for forcing my beliefs on other people. And I'm kind of sick of Christians standing up at the front of the room with a microphone telling me I should do that better and scolding me when I don't. So maybe you feel discouraged or even cynical about witness. And if you're in the room and you don't necessarily identify with a Christian faith right now, maybe you've had some really bad experiences with people trying to witness to you in ways that didn't really honor your dignity or humanity or respect your questions. So I just want to name that now and also state my hope that maybe we can reclaim together as we think this morning what witness is. (coughs) So we're just going to consider three... Three questions together. And these questions are equally applicable for all of us, no matter where you are on the spiritual spectrum this morning. The three questions are this. First, what is witness and what is it not? Second, how does witness connect me to the heart of the Father? How does witness connect me to the heart of God? And thirdly and lastly, What practices and daily rhythms will help me do it? How can I actually draw near to God through the spiritual discipline of witness and taste the good fruit of this spiritual discipline? (coughs) So, let's embark on this journey together. First, what is witness and what is it not? Guys, I did a lot of traveling this summer mostly to people's weddings. Uh, I actually just got back last summer, or last weekend from my sister's wedding in Chicago. I rise up and call you blessed. (coughs) My big sister, Anne, just got married. So it was a wonderful time of standing around in exposed brick lofts, eating tiny little artisanal sliders and waiting for the food to come. Um, But in the course of my traveling, 
to her wedding and, and several others, I spent a lot of time on the insides of airports and bus terminals and train stations. And I noticed something really interesting. Without exception, I saw these little ominous signs. If you see something, say something. Now we live in a post 9-11 world, so we know this is the slogan of the Department of Homeland Security and they're trying to encourage us to report unattended items or suspicious activity. And I get that. <coughs> but I had to wonder, is this the way that we view witness sometimes? We're kind of like, man, uh, something disturbs me, something is out of my norm, and the authorities have asked me to report it or to call it out, so I'm gonna do that. If I see something, I'm gonna say something. I'll share my beliefs, but only, or primarily, at moments when they are disrupted by something around me. Whether that's an off-color Facebook post, or a confusing conversation with a friend, something I observe around me. In the, if you see something, say something model of witness, Witnessing kind of comes from a place of suspicion and opposition. It kind of becomes a defense mechanism in moments of crisis. And it sets up an opposition between the one who is seeking to witness, to name what they see, and the culture around them. And so, g friends, maybe it shouldn't surprise us that we live in a society where many of our Christian brothers and sisters seem to be mobilized more for what they're against than what they're for. And that can be profoundly discouraging. But honestly, I, I might be assuming, but I think this crowd in the room might not struggle with that extreme so much when it comes to witness. I think we, a lot of us, and maybe this is just a product of living in Providence, it's a very secular city. There are a lot of, um, there's a lot of intellectual diversity here. There are universities, world-class universities that draw a great crowd of people and kind of different worldviews and expectations of life. And um, I think because of that, we're actually hyper aware of this, if you see something, say something, call it out model. And maybe we don't want to be perceived as that type of Christian. And so I would submit to you, perhaps it's easy for us to go to the opposite extreme, where we're afraid to say anything at all. And we accommodate or don't engage our friends lovingly because we don't know how. We've never seen it done in a winsome way, ever. And we don't know how. So I want to invite us to just redeem this if you see something, say something, model of witness. After reading Psalm 66, and we're about to dig into that a little more, I think we can say, yes, <laughs> a witness has seen something worth reporting. And so they are going to say something. But their hearts are overflowing. Friends, I think witness the kind of discipline of witness in daily life that Christ is inviting each one of us into means living with your eyes open. I think Christ wants, to live, wants us to live with our eyes open to two things. 
First, open to the story of what God is doing in your life. And second, open to the world around you. Open and curious and observant to the world around you. The reason we can invite others into our story is because it comes out of a desire to reveal the life-changing love of Jesus to those in our lives. We are simply speaking of what we have experienced ourselves. Okay, so that's a little framework. That's in the abstract, but let's, let's dive in now. Let's take a look at Psalm 66. If you have a Bible, feel free to open it up and read along with me. Um, otherwise, it's going to be on the screen behind me um, as we go through. Um, I'll give you a second, and me a second. Okay, Psalm 66. I love the Psalms. They've been called the Bible in miniature. The Psalms are great because they don't talk about the world as it should be. <laughs> they talk about the world and the human condition as it really is. There's some crazy stuff in the Psalms. There's rage and vindictiveness and accusation, but there's also a deep hunger for God. And when I read that written in the Psalms, I recognize that hunger in myself. So uh, Psalm 66, uh, we don't know who exactly wrote it, but there's a little note that says it was written for the director of music. So this was meant to be something that would be sung in the courts. In the first line, the psalm lets us know, the psalmist lets us know why he is even going to the trouble of speaking. It's because of joy. Verse 1, shout for joy to God, all the earth. Sing the glory of his name. Make his praise glorious. Say to God, how awesome are your deeds. How awesome are your deeds. All the earth bows down to you. They sing praise to you. They sing the praises of your name. So this witness, whoever he is, this psalmist, begins their witness, their declaration of what God has done with joy. And we see that actually God's character not just in the personal opinion of the witness, but actually God's character begins to be revealed through an invitation to joy. In verse 5, the psalmist continues, Come and see what the Lord has done, his awesome deeds for mankind. He turned the sea into dry land. They passed through the waters on foot. Come, let us rejoice in him. All right, pause. Now it appears there are some other characters involved. <coughs> Excuse me. It appears there are some other characters involved in the psalm. What does this verse mean? He turned the sea into dry land. They passed through the waters on foot. Well, for the psalm's original Jewish audience, this would have been the strongest possible statement of God's character as a savior and Redeemer. The original Jewish audience would have been extremely familiar with the story of God rescuing Israel uh, from slavery in Egypt, and that's told in the Bible in the book of Exodus. 
Um, so we won't turn there now uh, at the moment, but I really encourage you to take um, maybe a couple minutes later this afternoon and check it out. Uh, there's a pivotal moment, and perhaps some of you are familiar with it, where after a lot of, after devastating plagues and back and forth with Pharaoh who has enslaved the, the Israelites, finally the Israelite people are allowed to go free after 400 years of slavery. And they exit, make their exodus out of the land of their oppressors where they've just been entrenched and oppressed for centuries. And no sooner does the story gain momentum than all of a sudden there's an obstacle. They hit the Red Sea. And actually, Pharaoh is going back on his word. And he's not going to let the Israelites simply go free. He's pursuing them with chariots. And all of a sudden, the people of Israel cry out to their leader, Moses, who maybe many of you have heard of, say, why didn't you just let us die in slavery? If we're just going to be killed in our newfound freedom, is there really freedom? And then God stretches out his mighty arm and through Moses parts the Red Sea so that Israel can pass over dry land and escape to life and freedom. This story of redemption that means literally the paying back of debt, the being redeemed and released from slavery was absolutely fundamental to the self-identity, to the self-understanding of the Israelite people. And so to hear this witness, this declaration of God's goodness in Psalm 66 begin with a shout for joy for the God who has in history at a particular time and a particular place rescued his people from slavery, evil, and death, and brought them into new life and redemption, could there be a stronger statement of the character of God? It begins with joy. The section of the psalm ends with joy. Let us rejoice in him. Come, let us rejoice in him. We continue to get these little autobiographical moments throughout the psalm where the witness in the psalm refers repeatedly back to his or her, well, it's probably his, but sorry, ladies, uh, own personal history. Praise our God, all peoples, verse 8. Let the sound of his praise be heard. He has preserved our lives and kept our feet from slipping. So we see something interesting here. <coughs> witness begins with joy, but witness is an invitation to speak out of personal experience in a way that invites your listeners into the story. Now, the genre of the psalm is a song, so it's a bit more declarative than maybe we would find ourselves being around the water cooler on a Monday morning in our offices. But there's something powerful here. How is it that we are being drawn into God's heart when we are witnesses? Well, I think first we get a clearer picture of who God is and how he has acted in our own story. And I think secondly, we have permission to speak out of joy to invite others into our story. 
All right, so if witness begins to connect us to the heart of God for his people, <coughs> to bring them out of slavery into redemption, how have other human beings handled this challenge through the ages? Well, I think the cool thing is not only does witness make us more like God, but it actually allows us to join a long tradition of God's people speaking personally from their own experience and speaking in joy about what has God, God has done in their lives. So we're going to turn now to one of my favorite moments in the New Testament. And uh, you don't have a slide, but if you would like to turn with me to Acts chapter 17. Pardon me, Acts 3, I'm sorry. So this is a beautiful moment in the church. Shortly after Jesus has uh, died on the cross, been raised to life by God and ascended into heaven, entrusting the ministry of peace and reconciliation and new life to his followers, we zoom back into the story. And we zoom into the, the personal life story of a man named Peter and a man named John. Now, many of you know Peter. He's one of the more famous followers of Jesus. But one of the most cataclysmic events of their entire lives has just happened. The Lord that they thought was dead has come to life. And they've been entrusted with the task of sharing that good news with the world. And yet, normal life continues. They go to work, they go to temple, and they go in the trust that God could actually use them uh, in their daily uh, movements. So take a look with me now at Acts chapter 3. Let's see what God will do. One day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at 3 in the afternoon. Now, a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. Then Peter said, silver or gold I do not have, but what I have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping, praising God. And skipping ahead to the end of the story, when a great crowd has gathered and is exclaiming, how is this possible to Peter and John? Peter responds, fellow Israelites, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us as if by our own power or godliness we made this man walk? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant Jesus, 
By faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and know was made strong. It is Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has completely healed him, as you all can see. How many of us have people in our lives that we pass every day? And when people look at them, they only see certain kinds of needs. The temple gate, called Beautiful, was built out of enormous gates of bronze. It was called Beautiful because it was one of the most striking portals of entrance to the temple. And how many people streamed past this man, seeing only his need for money? Now, what can we learn from Peter as a witness? First, Peter looks straight at this man. He does not avert his gaze. His eyes are open. He's living in a way that is open-eyed to what God has done in his own life, but is also open-eyed towards what God might be doing in the world and the need that is in the world. Peter says, look at us. There's a moment of human connection for this man who, perhaps in a society where people um, who experienced lameness or other um, disabilities is speculated, well, maybe they're like that because they or their parents sinned. And so maybe those people are unclean. We should not, we should not associate with them. But instead, Peter looks right at the man. And what he has to give, he gives. And that's the gift of his his whole self. He says, I actually can't offer you the healing that you need. But what I have, I give you. And what I have is Christ who is in me. And in the name of that Christ, be healed. And there's a moment of personal connection where he reaches down and pulls the man to his feet. How many of us have dear friends or family members or coworkers that are perhaps sitting at the gate of something beautiful. But because we have not looked, we have not chosen to interact with them, we have not extended a hand, they have not received the opportunity to be healed. So we've seen that slowly but surely, witness connects us to the heart of the Father who wants to rescue his people from slavery, but also wants to strengthen those who are outside of the privileged and the religious elite, who are perhaps on the outside of our spirituality. There's something God wants to do in us, but he wants to use that something to bring healing to those on the fringes of our experience. So I want to ask, why is it hard to speak about faith? Why is it hard to model the way of Jesus in a compelling way? Well, I think first, sometimes we just have a low view of other people. On my first day of college, 
I was eager to come across as sophisticated and intellectually curious. And you know how freshmen do that thing where they sit down on the grass in the quad and kind of just chat with people? Uh, somehow I started chatting with this friend of mine. Um, I'll call him Jacob. And uh, a girl walked by who we both knew was um, uh, practicing another faith. And he turned to me and he said, don't you just hate religious people? How could any thinking person believe that a virgin could give birth or a dead man could rise to life? Well, I had a choice to make. Either sort of smile and laugh and shrug it off or make this really attractive freshman boy think that I was just enslaved to the opium of the masses, was totally intellectually incurious totally foolish. Well, with a smile, knowing that I was about to lose his respect forever, I said, oh, actually, I do believe all those things. Do you want me to tell you why? Yes. Yes, tell me right now. We talked for about five hours that day, and I did not give him a step-by-step -step apologetic overview of Christian doctrine. I shared with him, well, out of my own life, how faith does not begin with a miracle for me. Faith begins with a knowledge that I am loved. Jacob and I still aren't on the same page in terms of our spiritual beliefs, but that friendship became one of the most catalytic of all of college. But why? Why did hostility turn so quickly to fascination and fascination to joy? I think the answer is this. I can't say with certainty that Jacob was or experienced himself to be hungering after the Lord of the Bible that day, but I do know he was hungering after authenticity. I do know that he wanted a friend who would share their whole selves with him. And when he tasted a little bit of that vulnerability, it was captivating. And inviting him into my story and being willing to hear and be changed by his story in return has profoundly shaped us in ways that have been a blessing to both of us. And my experience meeting Jacob is the reason I say sometimes I think we have a low view of other people. I assumed based on one comment that he was judgmental, and self-righteous. Maybe that he wouldn't be curious or open-minded about my life. Now, if you're a Christian, aren't those assumptions the same assumptions you so desperately hope people won't make about you? <laughs> we tremble to think that people would make those assumptions about us, and yet we make them about others all the time. So I don't think the problem is what other people think of the hope that is in Christ or the story of Jesus. I think the problem is what we think. Maybe we think people will not find our stories compelling because we do not find our stories compelling. I think a, a second assumption we make is we have a really low view of the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. We assume that speaking about faith 
in a way that is winsome and invites others into our personal experience isn't worth it unless people like profess faith in Jesus on the spot and friends it's just not true there is a God-given spiritual fruit in speaking from all that we are in speaking out of joy and out of our own personal experience and if that's not enough for you I want to appeal to your good old-fashioned American self-interest however you identify spiritually don't you want friendships that can engage the deepest parts of both people? Don't you want radically authentic friendships? Don't you want the kinds of relationships with people where you allow yourself to be known by them and to know their deepest selves in return? We have a hope, actually, that God can speak out of our personal experience, not because we have really wise and interesting things to say or a five-point bulleted apologetic for the Christian faith, although those things might be interesting too, but actually because he's promised that when we step into his story, there's a well of living water that springs up in us, refreshes us, and can refresh those around us as well. So we've talked about what witness is. We've talked about how the psalmist and how Peter have done witness. And we've started to touch on how does witness draw me closer to the heart of God? I think as we move into how to actually do this in daily life, we need to remember that God, from the earliest moment of his relationship with people in the Bible, is a God that wants to be known. He doesn't want to keep himself hidden or secret. He is a God who walks side by side with people in the Garden of Eden and rests with them in the cool of the day. So, what would it actually take for us to shout with joy to God? What would it take for us to be able to say, come in here, everyone. Let me tell you what he's done for me. As Psalm 66 says. Well, I have a few ideas for you. Uh, the first thing has been very transformative for me, and I've done this several times over the course of the last couple years. And that's just the knowledge that to tell your story you got to know your story. Um, and sometimes that requires having a great cup of coffee and sitting down with a piece of paper and drawing out a spiritual timeline. Um, so just for the uh, purpose of demonstration, I thought I would share my spiritual timeline with you. I don't know if the slide is up. Great. Okay. So this is low-tech, but life-giving. So... Um, Take a piece of paper, you just draw a horizontal line across, and you don't feel pressure to like make little equal tick marks for every year, but the purpose of the spiritual timeline is for you to reflect just for yourself, how has God been moving in my life? 
So allow yourself to reflect back on your life in seasons. Uh, and that might be different for you, but the seasons that kind of spoke to me were thinking about like my childhood, adolescence, college, and then my adult life post-college. The question for you as you do this exercise is, what was God doing in your life in each season? You can mark memorable experiences, catalytic moments, influential people, patterns of change or growth, and even rough dates, if that helps. I don't know what a message on witness would be if I didn't share with you my own journey. Um, so I just wanted to point out a few things that have been catalytic for me. If I have anything to say as a witness of who Christ is, it is that I am his own and I am loved. My parents are Christians and I actually got baptized as, a, as an infant. So every night when I was tucked into bed, my parents would trace the sign of the cross on my forehead and say, Barrett Kristen, you were sealed by the waters of baptism sealed by the Holy Spirit and marked as Christ's own forever. Remember your baptism. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine upon you. May he lift up your countenance and give you peace. So my earliest encounter with God was that I was loved. And my parents made it okay for me to ask questions, questions about what is true. When I wanted to be confirmed, they said, actually, Barrett, you may not be confirmed unless you feel at the end of the class that you can personally give full intellectual and emotional assent to what you've learned about the message of Jesus. If you can't, keep asking your questions, because if God is who he says he is, there's no question you could ask that would threaten him. And that one moment has set the stage for my spiritual journey the rest of my life. My sister, the sister who just got married, kept a philosophy notebook with her friends where they discussed questions like, does God exist? If so, what is he like? Also, which is more powerful, light or darkness? And I was fascinated by the idea that actually People my age, people in sixth, seventh, and eighth grade could actually think for themselves about their faith. And her example of modeling good question asking for me is what drew me into the beauty and the power of the Christian story as I sought confirmation. But college was hard. I think I thought I was the only sophisticated and interesting Christian at Brown. And so I avoided Christian community <laughs> like the plague. <laughs> Sorry for all the people that were at Brown with me. Um, and I, I thought that I could just kind of do faith on my own. So on Friday nights at the Sigma party, I was holier than everyone else. But then on Thursday nights at my campus fellowship, I was more worldly and interesting. And that was devastating and set up a compartmentalization and a duality that was not sustainable and not life-giving. And ultimately, God used a friend named Will during my time studying abroad in England to redeem that. Because in Will, I saw someone whose life was integrated and whole. 
just like the hope that was expressed at the beginning of this message, that we would be integrated and whole people whose speech and actions bend towards God like plants bend towards sunlight. That was Will. And I remember one day talking about vacation plans or something with Will, and he turned to me and said, well, I don't know how I should best use my money for vacations over the next couple years, but I do know this. The gospel is the thing I want to give my life to. And somehow just a switch flipped for me. And I realized that the gospel is the thing I wanted to give my life to. So now I'm in a new season, a new season of campus ministry with InterVarsity. And even now, God is shaping me to not rely on ministry success or even on the life-giving power of good conversations for spiritual satisfaction, but to rely only on him. I think that's something I'm being invited into even now. So spiritual timelines are a great way to reflect on what the Lord has done in your life so that you can speak of it with joy to others. Uh, A second way to draw near to God through the discipline of witness and practice witness in your day-to-day life uh, is to start each day with prayer. And the prayer is simple. Lord, would you give me an opportunity to speak of you today? I have to confess that this is a discipline I'm really bad at, um, but I'm starting to get better. So right now in my journal, I have a list of, um, well, it kind of fluctuates, but between 10 and 20 people that I'm regularly praying would experience the love of God. Some of them are Christians and some of them aren't, but I want them all to experience the love of God. Maybe you could consider sitting down with a journal or your phone even, making a list of people that you would love to see encounter the life-changing love of Christ. Then jot next to their names, what is one tangible, specific way I could be the face of Christ to them this month? Because witness isn't just about speaking, it's modeling what God has done in in your life. So if you have a friend who you know struggles or has been wounded by gossip in the past, Maybe a way that you could be the face of Christ to him or to her is by resolutely refusing to speak ill of others around that person and let that be a witness and a testament to the power of Christ to help us speak grace and love and not condemnation in our speech. And lastly, maybe you're sitting here and you're like, all right, To tell my story, I gotta know my story. But I don't think I have a story. (laughs) I don't actually know what God has done in my life. Maybe, uh, as I invite the band to come back up, (laughs) maybe this is a moment for you to simply ask God to be a part of your story. Maybe allowing yourself to reflect Where have I been cherishing things? Where have I been rejecting things in my own story? And where could I invite God in? If you feel that God hasn't done anything, what a great opportunity to ask him now. Just in closing, um, 
we are going to take a moment of reflection on the discipline of witness. And I wanted to say this. Witness isn't about having, like, a prepared speech for people. It's about bringing all that you are to Jesus and all that you are to your friendships. And I think that even means bringing all that you know of yourself, which might be partial right now, to all that you know of God, and that too might be partial right now. The invitation is actually for all of us, and witness is actually a really good thing, no matter where we are on the spiritual spectrum now. So um, the band will play for just a, a few moments here, and I'd love for you to just pause in a moment of reflection. What is keeping you from allowing God to shape you through the discipline of witness? Is it fear of offending someone else? Is it fear of looking foolish? Is it a refusal to actually live in a way where your eyes are open to what God has been doing in your life? Or is it a refusal maybe to believe that God could use someone like you in the power of his Holy Spirit to bring life to others? That he could actually use day-to-day -day interactions to reveal the life-changing love of Jesus to others? Or maybe it's even shame or disappointment or resentment that you don't know how God has been moving in your life at all. But whatever it is, I encourage you to bring it to the Lord now. In a moment, I'm going to uh, take us into communion. Communion is the time to come to the table, to come to the Lord's table in an embodied way. And I want you to come to the table with open eyes and open hands. Is there a resistance in your life where you realize, actually, I can't really speak out of joy because I don't know if my joy is in God. Would you bring that to the table? Would you know that the spiritual discipline of witness is nothing more than being your whole self? Come and hear all you who fear God. Let me tell you what he has done for me. I cried out to him. <laughs> I knew there was sin in my heart, but God has listened and he has heard my prayer and I praise him who has not rejected me or withheld his love from me.
the communion servers can come forward. And when you're ready, uh, feel free to get up and um, you'll take the bread uh, or the gluten-free cracker, dip it into the cup, knowing that Christ died for you. Your sins are forgiven and he wants to lead you through the Red Sea over dry land into the promise of freedom. Open our eyes to see your hand at work in the world around us. Deliver us from the presumption of coming to this table for solace only and not for strength, for pardon only and not for renewal. Let the grace of the bread and cup make us one body, one spirit in Christ, that we may serve the world in his name. Risen Jesus, be known to us now. Amen. God in my waking, God in my sleeping, God in my resting, there in my working, God in my thinking, God in my speaking, be my everything, be my everything. Be my everything, 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 be my everything. And God in my hoping. There in my dreaming, God in my watching, God in my waiting, God in my laughing, there in my weeping, God in my hurting, God in my healing, be my everything. Be my everything, 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 be my everything. Christ in me, Christ in me. Christ in me, the hope of glory, you are everything. Christ in me, Christ in me, Christ in me, the hope of glory, you are everything. 
Christ in me, Christ in me, Christ in me, the hope of glory. You are everything. Christ in me, Christ in me, Christ in me, the hope of glory. You are everything. Be my 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 everything. My name is Chris. I'm part of the leadership team here. Good morning. As we move into um, a time of offering um, and giving of the ways that God has given to us, um, just let this liturgy remind you of the why um, behind this part of our service. And if you're new with us, um, if you're a guest, please feel no obligation to give. Um, this is something that we do as a community to, to bless and enrich this community and our larger city. Um, so let this liturgy remind you is the why behind we give. There is nothing we have that we have not received. To spend everything on ourselves and to give without sacrifice is to walk the way of death. But generosity is the way of those who call Jesus their Lord, who love him with free hearts and serve him with renewed minds who withstand the delusion of riches, we are determined to increase in generosity until it can be said that there is no needy person among us. We are determined to be faithful stewards of such a little thing as money that Christ may trust us with true riches. Above all things, we are determined to be generous because our Father is generous. It is the delight of his daughters and sons to share their father's traits and to show what he is like to all the world. You pray with me, pray together. Lord Jesus, we thank you, God, for this time this morning. God, thank you for the ways that you have blessed us and the ways that you provide for our needs every day. God, I pray that continued prayer that there would be no needy people among us in this space. Lord, and out of that hope and out of that truth, would that um, prompt us to give back in the ways that you've so richly blessed us. I pray over this offering this morning that would be used to your glory in this church and in this city 
pray all this in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. I'd like to invite the offering greeters to come up. And all I want and all I need is more of you and less of me. And take this life, Lord, it's yours. Have my heart. I'm sing it out this morning. And all I want and all I is more of you and less of me and take this life lord is yours and have my heart and have it all and all i want and all i need is more of you less of Take this life, Lord, it's yours. Have my heart, have it all. So God, as we go, would you give us opportunities to speak of you today? Would you give us opportunities to speak of your great love and your great mercy and what you have done for us? God, free us from um, the trappings of what we think we have to say, God, and give us confidence in our stories. Give us confidence that you are at work. Would you give us an opportunity to speak of you today? In your name, amen. Amen, amen. Before we go, just one quick announcement. If you are interested in signing up for the partner class, uh, there's a clipboard in the back. You can do that. So do that on your way out. And we'll see some of you at the Paw Sox game. All right. Peace be with you. Have a great afternoon. <laughs>